Sabbath. It's good to be here. Um, why don't we start with a word of prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath day that we can come together and encourage one another. I ask that you and your spirit would be here with us as we seek to do that. May we be encouraged from the stories and the faithful account of the Bible that you are faithful and that as we trust in you, we're never alone. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, happy Sabbath, everyone. Um, the title that I gave to Craig, um, and thank you for your patience with me, Craig, um, for this talk was Never Alone. Um, I'll admit to uh, something I probably shouldn't admit to. I came up with the title for the sermon before I came up with the content for the sermon. So after I had given you the title, then I had a little homework to do. And I had to ask my wife, and I had to ask my children, and I said, what would you include in a sermon that was entitled Never Alone? So um, the, the thoughts that I'm going to share, I think we can say the whole family has a little bit of responsibility for. Uh, maybe just to begin with, um, I think I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have ever felt alone or lonely? Um, Thank you for showing your hand. So this is a feeling that as humans, we can all relate to. Uh, loneliness and isolation seems to be increasing, even though it's probably hard to tell really um, about things like this. Those are hard feelings to measure. Um, there was a study from Harvard that said about 36% of Americans feel extreme loneliness, which sounds pretty bad. I don't know exactly how they define that. Uh, but that 61% of young adults felt that loneliness, and 51% of mothers with small children. So there are certainly groups in our society today that feel more alone than other groups. Uh, it's interesting, the last two and a half years of a pandemic hasn't really helped this situation. It's probably made it worse. The, the um, popularity of social media also probably has not helped this feeling. So you kind of wonder, how can you feel alone when you have 2,643 friends on Facebook? <laughs> it's possible. Uh, actually, what I, I didn't look into this too deeply, but if most of your interaction happens on social media, you tend to feel more alone. And you can see the young or, or younger generation tends to be more uh, inclined to feel alone. Um, whereas if you just use social media to get together in person or to, you know, for an appointment or a party or something that results in you actually getting uh, to see other people, then it may actually make you feel less alone because it's helping you to spend more time with others. In any case, I think we all know what loneliness is. I think we can all agree there's a large section of our society that that feels this feeling. And I guess um, if there's one thing I'd like to share this morning, it's that we don't have to feel that feeling. Um, and I'll also say feelings come and go. And so I don't think we're judged by the way we feel. But even if we do feel that way, I think we can be encouraged that we aren't ever really alone as long as we have chosen uh, God to be the one who we're following, um, the creator God to be our God. There's a couple of promises that I'd like to just start off with that are 
probably pretty well known to this group, but I'd like to read them anyway. One comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And I think this is a, a wonderful verse, the, the last chapter of Hebrews where Paul is really just kind of running through a, a great list of final exhortations. Uh, but he says here in Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, keep your loves, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I feel like this verse was kind of written for us today, even though I suppose human nature doesn't fundamentally change throughout the millennia. But so many people think today that if they have enough money, if they have enough things, that they will be happy and probably that they won't feel lonely and that they will have enough. Unfortunately, that never works. And so in contrast to this love of money, um, which we will never, which will never help us to find contentment, Paul says, be content with what you have because you have God. And God said, I will never leave you and never will I forsake you. That's a promise that we can all have today. So if we feel like maybe we're alone, we can remember and, and really quote this promise that God has even, no matter how we feel, even if life doesn't sometimes make sense to us or we don't feel God's presence with us, he's promised that he won't ever leave and he won't ever forsake us. And then there's the Great Commission. I think we could all probably, for the most part, recite that one together with a few variations on versions. Um, but why don't we do that? Um, would you all be okay with that? Uh, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19, starts with the word therefore in most any version that I have read. We don't have to read it. We can just share it together. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the world. You know, another wonderful promise, and really the context and backdrop of this promise is the spreading of the gospel to the world. So go and tell the world this good news. Jesus is going back up to heaven. And he doesn't leave us with this commission without the promise that he's with us always. And just to make sure we don't think that's ever going to change, he says even until the end of the age or the end of the world. So I think there is good news for us this morning that God is with us and we really are never alone. Um, with that kind of being my what I wanted to share, I'd like to illustrate uh, this with a couple stories, one from my life and one from the Old Testament. So um, as many of you know, Shalene and I lived in, had the privilege of living in Malawi for three and a half years. Uh, the first year we were there was kind of a lonely year for us in many ways. It was a new country, a new hospital, new friends, or <laughs> we were trying to figure out if they were friends or not. <laughs> um, new culture, new language, new currency, new way of things disappearing around our house without us even knowing what happened. Uh, there are a lot of new things for us when we moved to Malawi. I remember one day during that year, um, I've always, I think, since well, since we lived in California, at least, been a gardener at heart. Um, 
And so we wanted to get our garden growing in Malawi. And, you know, they don't have Home Depot in Malawi, so it's a little bit different. But we had found out about a few nurseries. So I had heard about this nursery that was in town. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go drive by that nursery. I think it was a Sunday, and I just had a little bit of extra time. So the town was about an hour and a half from our house. So I thought, you know, I'll just swing by there. Um, one of my friends had recommended it. So I drove in, and it looked pretty empty. Um, that wasn't entirely uncommon because um, sometimes, you know, there would be a, a business, but a house over there, and the person in the house was running the business over here. So I got, you know, I drove up, drove around a little bit. It was quite a pretty big area. And I thought, well, I'll get out and just kind of see what's here and see what happens. Well, there wasn't a lot, there weren't a lot of people. There was nobody there except for one person who came kind of walking across the field, which again is pretty common. So I was talking to him about his plants. I was looking at trees, you know, what kind of trees do you have? They were little in a little black bag. And I thought, well, we could plant some of these in our yard. Um, uh, but I was just kind of asking. He told me some prices. Again, you never really know how these things work in Malawi, if, <laughs> if he owned them or if he just thought it would be a, a convenient time for us to have a little deal. Um, so after I had finished talking with him, I thought, you know, I'm probably not going to buy anything here today. And so I started heading back towards my car. Well, um, on the way to my car, this uh, young man, he asked me um, in Chichewa, which my Chichewa wasn't good, but um, it wasn't terrible. And so he asked me what time it was. And I remember I, I kind of, I, um, I have a confession to make. I never owned a cell phone until I lived in Africa. So um, when I got to Africa, I got the next generation flip phone. So it didn't flip, but it was about <laughs> the size I think my boss called it a candy bar phone. And nobody could believe that I had this tiny little phone. Um, the phone probably cost about $15. However, I had spent the last six months getting all the right contacts in this phone, which was to me worth a lot of time and, and money because getting contacts is everything in Malawi where it's really hard to find things. So I had my little phone. He asked me what time it was, so I, I grabbed my phone, and I was looking at it. I said, oh, it looks like it's 5 after 3. And while I said 5 after 3, <laughs> I saw his fingers come right over <laughs> the time on my phone. Um, and, you know, in a split second, I realized, you know, I'm holding on to my phone, <laughs> and he's holding on to my phone. And I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. Um, now we're both holding on to my phone. So I kind of pulled it a little bit. <laughs> he kind of pulled it a little bit. And, you know, I think these things happen really quick, but it, seems, it feels like a long time, right? Like I'm just processing. I'm standing here in this open field with nobody else around uh, playing tug of war on my phone with this young man I've never met before. <laughs> And so, you know, we kind of, you know, feels like we did this for like 30 seconds. It was probably more like three. Um, and as we were, you know, it was clear and, you know, you sense this in Malawi, like no, nobody wants anybody to be hurt, right? That, that would not be good. Um, so this young man didn't want to hurt me. I didn't want to hurt him. Um, he just wanted my phone. And I wanted my phone. So we're standing there. I think we probably got to maybe like a hand on the shoulder. We didn't really get any further than that because, you know, nobody wanted anything to, to be, you know, anybody to get hurt. Um, and then, you know, he said to me, he said, Azungu, 
Palive Police. And I knew enough to know that uh, basically, you know, white men, there are no police. He's like, Palive Police. And when he said that, I thought, you know, glad you mentioned that. <laughs> because as soon as he said Palive Police, um, it gave me a good idea. And I did what I think any self-respecting uh, young father would have done at that time. I screamed at the top of my lungs like a girl. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and as soon as I did that, um, even though he assured me that there were no police there, um, he ran off and actually left one of his sandals in, on the ground. Okay, so, you know, I was a little bit shaken up. I was standing there with my phone, um, thankful that um, he had reminded me to call for help, and I had done that. Um, but then there was another problem. Uh, after that little skirmish, um, I went to get in my car. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't have my keys, because honestly, when he asked me what time it was, I was getting my keys out to get in the car. I was like, oh, no. So I have my phone, but I don't have any keys. <laughs> so he must have, you know, he must have gotten my keys, been happy with it, let the candy bar phone go, and just ran off. So, you know, then I was kind of like, well, what do I do now? And I, I remember it being a little bit of a kind of, a, you know, just one of those low points. The year had been kind of a low year. Um, it was, we were just trying to get through, I think, a couple more months till we went on vacation, annual leave, which we were looking forward to, kind of sat down and, and I was feeling a little down, but I prayed as well. And I was like, God, you know, you know, all that that came before you also know, I don't have my keys to go anywhere right now. And, um, you know, it's just like one of those childhood prayers when we dropped our dime or, you know, toy in the ground and we couldn't find it, um, when I opened my eyes, there were the keys sitting there on the ground. And I thought, you know, um, that wasn't a very big thing, but it sure did help me to not feel alone in this year that's not been the most enjoyable year of my life. Um, and I really, you know, look back on um, our whole Malawi experience as one that, that would kind of mirror that story. You know, not real easy, um, some trouble. Uh, and in the middle of all that, the assurance that God is with us and that we aren't alone. I would also like to share a story from the Old Testament that I um, I don't think it's the most famous story, even though it, ha it has one of the most famous verses in the middle of it. So we might learn a few new names here together. I don't know. You, you all might know these names. Um, but since they're kind of new, um, I think I would like a little bit of help in in sharing the story. So this story comes from Isaiah chapter 7, um, and it's the story of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. So Ahaz was a king in Judah. He was the son of Jotham, who was a good king. Jotham was the son of Uzziah, who was a good king. However, unfortunately, Ahaz was not a good king. Um, I always kind of confused Ahaz with Ahab, which is not a wrong comparison when you think about um, the spelling of the names and how they sound. But uh, but he was a different, you know, um, Ahab was a king in Israel, Ahaz a king in Judah. 
um, that came after, a little bit after the time of Ahab. So Ahaz um, is the king here in Judah, and he has a little problem. Um, Ahaz, not being a righteous king, had gotten his country in trouble. Uh, and you, we, I'm going to share just a couple of this story is really recorded in three different places, in Second Chronicles, Second Kings, as well as Isaiah 7, kind of putting all those stories together. Um, Judah had been attacked by Israel. So the brothers had attacked um, the, you know, the 10 older brothers, in a sense, but about Joseph today, had attacked Judah. Um, they had not overcome Judah, but they had inflicted a heavy toll of about 120,000 lives in one day. So who was this king of Israel who attacked Judah? It was Pekah. And so right about now is when we need a little bit of audience participation. So I have a few volunteers, um, and could those volunteers please come up? They're going to help us understand this story. And you know, I need one more volunteer. I have three that I told we're going to volunteer. <laughs> Is there any fourth volunteer that would actually like to truly volunteer? I'm going to work on these three. If anybody else wants to come join us, please do so. Okay, thank you, Miss Kirsten, for helping our volunteers to make their names. Um, let's see, we need Pika. You know, Jedediah, you're an older brother. I think Pika's a... <laughs> you could be a good Pika. Okay, Pika was the king of Israel. I know that's confusing. That's why Jedediah is going to help us remember this. Okay, Pika. And then I need, I need reason. I think that one goes to Abby. Reason. Okay, now reason. Who is reason? He was the king of Aram. So Pika and reason um, are coming from the north. So I think, why don't we have north be over here? All right, guys. They're coming from the north. Now remember, Pika has already killed 120,000. Um, uh, okay, and we're going to have Grandpa. All right. Uh, and Pika has killed 120,000. Riza, uh, yeah, Riza, Rezin, I'm sorry. Rezin has also attacked Judah in, in allied with Pika and carried off many uh, much plunder to Damascus because Rezin was from Aram. Okay, so now we have Ahaz. Here you go, Mr. Ahaz. And we have Isaiah. Thank you, Grandpa, for being Isaiah. Okay, we're going to walk through this story together. There's a lot of new names, so I thought I'd try to do an object lesson to help people. Starting in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Oh. What was king of Judah? King Reason of Aram. Reason. Put your R up there, okay? And Pekah son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. Ahaz, they're going to fight against you. Okay, that's good. You can just stay right there. Okay, but they could not overpower it. Now, the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So that's these two. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. You were shaken. 
They were shaken like trees in the forest that are shaken by the wind. Like your knees are shaken because they're coming after you. Okay, so you were afraid. The, the people of Judah, Jerusalem was afraid. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. <laughs> no, Isaiah is saying it to Ahaz. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. <laughs> All right, don't lose heart. They're smoldering stubs of firewood. <laughs> I didn't say it. It's in the Bible. Um, okay, because of the fierce anger of reason and Aram and Pekah, the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let's invade Judah. Let us invade Judah. Okay. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves. Divide it among ourselves. And make the son of Tabil king over it. Good job. Okay, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only reason. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son, Pekah. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Thank you for the audience participation. Thank you, Ahaz and Isaiah. Thank you. Okay, so we see Ahaz. Um, if we were to go a little further in depth, we could illustrate the wickedness of Ahaz. But to make it succinct, he offered his sons in the fire. What does that mean? He worshipped the pagan god of Molech. Um, and his children were offered as living sacrifices, a detestable practice in those times. Um, he had also built altars to other gods and worshipped at them. He had apostatized despite his father and grandfather being faithful. Now, because of his apostasy and his sin, he's facing some pretty bad actors, Pika and Rezin, who have already inflicted heavy damages on Jerusalem. But in the middle of this war, even with a king that is unfaithful, God is speaking, which is just the beautiful thing of the Bible and the Old Testament, right? Even though people make mistakes, even though they've had a bad history, God still works with them. And so we see God saying, this isn't going to happen. And then I love the end of um, verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You know, I think we've heard this verse before. Maybe now we have a little more context for these people of Judah who are shaking like the trees in the forest because of the smoldering stubs of 
reason and pika. But I want to go on and just see what else God has to say. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. This is where the story gets a little bit more familiar. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. So Isaiah uh, 7.14 is quite possibly one of the most famous verses in the Bible of this sign that God was going to give um, of Emmanuel. And of course, we think about this uh, story all the time at Christmas time. Uh, I don't think I really understood the context that the original prophecy was given in. And, you know, it seems as though many prophecies may have a dual application. Um, a virgin could be translated, uh, truly a virgin, or a, a young woman. Um, and so it seems if you look, if you continue reading this story, um, these children were signs all throughout the next three chapters. Um, Isaiah and his children, who had names specific to their situation. And then in chapter 9, we have the famous uh, prophecy of, for unto us a child is born, right? The prophecy that clearly identifies Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. But maybe to take a step back to Ahaz and his time, you have a wicked king who's facing trouble because of his wickedness. God comes to him and says, you know what? You're not going to be destroyed, and I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a baby that is going to be named God with us. You know, you just kind of think about um, the, implication, the implications of that and how much it shows um, God's character. Uh, it has always been God's desire to be with us. And there's never been a time in human history when he could do that without us having some sort of taint or sin since Adam and Eve fell. And so there's always these two challenging pieces to the puzzle, God's desire to be with us and our sin that separates us from God. We can see if we look back in Exodus chapter um, 25, verse 8, uh, another pretty well-known um, verse that says, when God was talking to Moses, he said, and have them make a sanctuary for me that I will dwell among them. You know, the Israelites uh, just coming out of slavery needed an interface where they could come to know God and understand him. Um, and what they really needed was enough order where they could just listen for a little while without um, so much of their uh, idolatry and heathen practices getting in the way where they could come and meet God, they could learn about God and his ways, something we do not understand by nature because he's so different than us. So God said, have them make me a sanctuary. And where was the sanctuary in those olden times? It was right in the middle of the camp because God wanted us all to understand his real desire is that he would be in the middle of all of us, ultimately to live inside of us. So as the story and history went on, um, and this child, Emmanuel, came to this earth. Um, we have kind of the same story unfolding. If we look in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is this is Jesus, right? This is Jesus coming to tabernacle among us or to dwell right in the middle of us. And when Jesus came, uh, uh, like we said, he was born in Bethlehem. He lived in Nazareth, up in Galilee. Um, he came right in the middle of our world because, once again, God wanted us to know that he wanted to be with us. Um, this has always been his desire. And so what's the problem? Well, the problem has been sin, right? These these things, these detractors, the state of being where we um, are more in love and focused on ourselves than God. And that separates us from him, and it separates us from being able to open our hearts to him coming to tabernacle or sanctuary within us. And so through the sanctuary of old, through Jesus, his life, his teachings, his stories, his death, um, God was eroding those barriers that keep us from him so that we would love and trust him and realize that we can also be with him. So because when we're with him, just like the disciples um, in that boat uh, when the storm was seeking to take their life, uh, there's no reason to be afraid. Right? With Jesus, we know that things are going to be okay. Spending time with Jesus is the cure to our problems. Uh, and and as we spend time with him, we are changed and transformed. So in 2 Corinthians, it talks a little bit about that experience. 2 Corinthians 3.18 uh, where it says, well, this is talking about how Moses veiled his face, but now we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when we are with God, when we spend time with him, when we realize that he loves us, and we really are truly never alone, it changes us. Right? We become like him, just like the disciples hanging out with Jesus for three years, they were changed. Uh, just like Joseph's brothers after they sold him into slavery, like we were talking about this morning, um, spending time with God, the Holy Spirit, bringing repentance into their lives, that time changed them. And because they spent time with God, um, number one, they were never alone. Number two, they were changed. And that same experience can be ours. It's what God desires for us. It's what he's been working on through all these ages um, to, to, to um, abide with us, like Jesus said in John chapter 15. So I just want to encourage all of us today, um, as we seek God and seek to follow him, we are truly never alone. Um, he's promised us that. He's given us our own stories in life that illustrate that. And he's given us story after story in the Bible that illustrate that. Just to go back to Ahaz for one moment. Um, you know, here's this king and kingdom. He's very afraid. God says, don't worry, I'm with you. I will take care of you. Um, I, will, I will prove it by giving you a sign. This baby will be born. Uh, and he will ultimately prove it to us by giving us the Messiah. Um, God coming to live with us so that we can know him, we can love him, and we can trust him. And so by doing, as we get to know and love and trust him, we become like him. And then that's a friendship and a relationship that will last forever. Uh, I just want to conclude with one really short quote 
from Our Father Cares that uh, we read last week. It says, uh, it's from page 175, it says, uh, sanctification means habitual communion with God. I'll just think about that. What is sanctification? Habitual communion with God. We are with him. He is with us. That's the desire that he's always had. Uh, and then even when, you know, we're scared, it looks like some kings are going to come tear us limb from limb. Um, maybe because of even some bad choices we've made in our own life. Maybe not. Uh, we can take courage that God has promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. Uh, he sent his son to seal his promise and that we can truly uh, trust him in these times, even when it looks like things might not be going so good. This is something that we can take as we walk in, in you know, unprecedented times. How many times have you heard unprecedented times in the last two and a half years? Uh, well, I think our unprecedented times are only seem to be getting more unprecedented. And in reality, I don't know that there have ever really been precedented times. Um, this world is is a place that is always changing. Unfortunately, not usually towards righteousness, but towards uh, the ways of the world and, and the evil that's in it. But we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to fear for what is to come. We don't, you know, because God has promised that he will be with us and we truly are never alone. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for the promises that you've given to us. We thank you for this story after story after story in the Bible that proves your faithfulness to us. I ask that uh, when we may feel alone or when, when we may be afraid of the future or what might be coming for us uh, ourselves or maybe for our country, that we would take take heart and take courage in these promises and these stories to know that you promised to always be with us, to never forsake us, and that um, you love us and, and your highest desire is that we would love you and, and spend that time each day in communion, in habitual communion with you. In your name we pray. Amen.